I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Beauty Bosses. I have an amazing guest here, Anne Malum, who is the founder and CEO of Solid Core an intensified version of Pilates that is kind of become known as Pilates for athletes or extra super Pilates. Sure, um, so welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, Solid Core and how how you decided to make an intensified version of Pilates. No problem. So I, before Solid Core, I was actually running a nonprofit called back on my feet that uses running to help the homeless and was sort of looking for what my next thing might be. And I was in LA for work and I did a Pilates class there and I had done every workout underneath the sun. I was a runner, boot camps, you name it. And um, just kind of wasn't in love with the results I was seeing for my body after being an athlete and working for working out for so long. And so I saw this Pilates studio and I walked by and I'm like, oh, this looks fun. You know, I'm pretty fit, do marathons, all these things. And I took this Pilates class and it was so challenging. Um, I didn't actually have any idea you could work out that way and get a workout in that fashion of moving so slowly, um, but targeting all of these muscles that I was trying to tone. And then the next day I was just so sore, came back to New York, sort of doing a version of Pilates here and then decided I would open my own shop down in D.C. and open my first studio in November 2013, and now we have 71 locations. That's amazing. So it's been about five years, right? A little over that, six years. Six years. Yeah. And um, how did you grow from one to 71? Yeah, you know, you figure you figure out what your talents are, and you figure out what you're really good at in life, you figure out what you're not really good at in life. I am really good at creating, building, and scaling. Um, as I mentioned before, before Solid Core was a nonprofit that I grew to a national scale. And it's it's something that I just really like find that I'm good at. I'm not the best operator out there, but you can, you know, filter in those people and get them on your team as necessary. So I also always knew that, you know, once I discovered working out in this way that other women felt the same way that I did and I knew that this product and brand could be something that could be transferable in all different markets uh, around the U.S. Um, so I just got really excited about that. I thought there was a lot of white space for a product like this. That's so cool. How do you, let me rewind for a second, how do you get good at scaling? Because I think that's my weakness. I want to be good at scaling. Yeah, I mean again, everybody's good or... or yeah, different things, yeah. Yeah, different things. Um, I have always been sort of a faster, further, uh, how do we get there as quickly as possible kind of person, especially if there's something that I really believe in. And maximizing the momentum of things is something that I also think is a really great strategy. If you open something or you've got a product that you can see is getting positive response, which is exactly what happened with Solid Core in DC, our first studio was overflowing with demand, we couldn't put enough classes on the schedule, so it was pretty clear that the consumers were into what we were doing. So I, I quickly opened our second studio 
within four months of the first one. Um, and because of the small group classes, we only need hundreds of people coming, you know, a couple times a week to make the numbers work and to fill up the classes. So there just isn't a lot of extra inventory there. So you really do need several more brick and mortar um, and just started to continue to build off of that. And then uh, again, it's felt the same way about a lot of other markets around the um, the country. I felt we could actually be in several of them, not just the tier one markets, but tier two, tier three, tier four. So tested our hand at Atlanta and Philadelphia, two very different cities when you think about describing them, um, but two brand new markets for us. And then just kind of continued to uh, pick new geographies from there and set up the infrastructure in place to make sure that the operations were intact with the growth. That's amazing. And um, do you have outside funding? Yes, we took outside funding in October of 2017. Gosh, is that? Yes, so this will be three years. Yeah, October 2017 um, from a group called Peterson Partners. We were at about 22 studios by that point, and again, just felt like been reinvesting the profits of the studios to get the other studios open, but I needed some big talent at that point, and I knew I really wanted to continue to grow and open more studios on a, a, a sort of a faster cadence, and wanted resources, the capital, but to the people um, to be involved in it that could help with challenges that come just from taking a company from 20 studios, so hopefully we're on track to do about 100 this year. Um, so yeah, we I partnered with them, they've been fantastic, we really haven't had uh, any of these scary P issues that you hear about with people. We've had a really harmonious relationship with Peterson. Uh, they're a minority partner and they just sort of said, listen, what you guys are doing is amazing. We want to help. Let us know how we can be helpful. But, you know, they're not a, 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 they're not a controlling ownership in the company. So they really serve as a supportive um, sounding board in a lot of ways that has proven to be really useful. And I think everybody's really enjoying the relationship. It's amazing because sometimes you do hear those horror stories oh, about yeah. how um, a private equity company will like run the show and take away totally. the leadership of the founder's vision. So. Yeah, and they when they own the company, they have every right to, to do that. You know, I think it's really a lesson for folks when they're you know doing funding or taking funding to really one get a great lawyer and understand what you're signing and who you're going to be working with and what rights you have. Um, because once that paperwork is signed, there's not a whole lot you can, you know, you can do about it. And then I was reading an article about you that said that your plan is to build SolidCore up and then eventually sell mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I think, you know, I, th I would think that's what most people want to do. You know, you build the company. And for me, I do have a little serial entrepreneurial um, blood in my system so like this isn't going to be my last creation and to go back to what we were talking about before Laura like I, I am good at the build, the building the beginning stages mm -hmm. the concept stuff and that's where I also get my energy from so running a company about you know 200 locations isn't something that I fantasize about like I fantasize about what other communities I can create and start that can have major impact on people's lives and it's frankly my biggest responsibility to leave this company in such a position that it continues to thrive without me because the foundation is so strong. Were you ever scared about entering into a very saturated marketplace? Because there are so many boutique exercise classes. Um, did you ever feel intimidated about hanging up your shingle? Um, 
it was different back then. You know, it was we were the first real boutique fitness in in DC, which is where the first studio opened. There was no Soul Cycle there. There was no Flywheel there. There was no Berries there. There was no Rumble there. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, it was really no an uncharted theory. territory. Yeah, and I think people kind of forget how quickly, actually, in the last five years, that the boutique fitness has really saturated the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm talking about not in a you know small town in Tennessee, right? This is Washington, D.C. It's an affluent big city that everybody knows, and, like, none of these concepts were there yet. So within the last six years, I mean, there must be, uh, of all the studios there, 40 to 50 actual studios. When you see that, you know, SoulCycle has four. We have eight in the district itself. Um, you've got Rumble. has got one. You've got another boxing concept. You've got Flywheel. You've got Bar. You've got Orange Theory. Um, but what you're also seeing and what we've seen, our studios have grown year over year in growth, not just for the company itself by opening studios. So you're not really seeing the customer be cannibalized from each studio to studio. There's a lot more people getting involved in the boutique fitness game and the consumer, um, consumership is growing. So, which is great for the, which is great for the industry, right? You're getting a lot more people that want to get involved um, in fitness who maybe have never went to a class before and working out on their own. Yeah, that's cool. What are kind of the three most important piece of it, pieces of advice that you'd give to someone um, who's interested in starting a business that they want to scale someday, but just starting your first location, first business? I think there's a couple things. You know, one is you really need to understand why you want to do it. You hear people romanticize around whether it's like, oh, I'd love to have a coffee shop someday. And then I'm like, cool, do you know the margins on the cup of coffee? Do you know that like coffee shops open at, you know, 5 or 6 a.m. And that means being there at 3 a.m. So I think it's thinking about the why. And I think a lot of people think through like this visual of them with their friends uh, in a coffee (laughs) shop or something and not like the brutality of waking up at 3 in the morning. You have hourly employees, probably minimum wage employees in a situation like that, managing that team, um, and there's a lot to it. And a big reason why businesses fail is that people just don't have the, the love and the passion behind the concept as much as maybe they think it would as it relates to how much work it actually takes for something to be successful. So really understanding the reality of the situation is the same thing with relationships when people fantasize about their you know, husband or what it's like to be in a relationship, and the reality of it is it's tough. It's hard work sometimes, and it's not... You know, always uh, lovey-dovey and whatever. There's compromise. There's arguments. Mm-hmm. There's learning people. So um, that's a that's a big part of it. I think is really understanding the why behind it and knowing the hard work and understanding the margins and the finances behind what you um, behind what you want to be doing. And two, from a scaling standpoint, uh, that's a lifestyle thing, right? There, I've been on panels with people who have said very clearly that they didn't want to scale, right? They've got three or four locations and that's sort of what they've always envisioned for themselves. And when anybody ever asks me if like, did I ever think I was going to have 70 locations? And when I say yes, they're sort of like taken aback or think that I should be saying no, that this whole thing happened based off of, you know, luck or just, you know, gosh, I never even dreamed. Um, And that's not true. Like I always knew that this could be a national brand and I knew that I was the person that could actually be the creator of it if I brought in the right talent. That could be, you know, amazing operator and the marketing side of things and real estate and development and get those experts involved at the right time that could really help the company. How did you find great talent? Trial and error sometimes, right? Like um, that's one of the hardest things about running a company of our speed is that you outgrow talent and it can happen quickly and it can happen to people that you really enjoy and that you like um but it's 
you know, that's also another serious part of my job is making sure that the company is taken care of with the talent that's there. So I think it's, I think what I have learned and if you have the resources, it's like hire for, you know, six months to a year down the road. Don't hire the person that's a discount. Don't hire the person that doesn't really have the experience, but that you think can get there. If your company is growing at a pretty big clip, you will outpace that person and you're left with starting over, letting that person go, being frustrated, um, which can cause tension and consternation inside your company, inside your culture, especially if there's sort of rapid turnover that people may or may not understand. So hiring, um, you know, hiring talent that you might not think you need is always my best piece of advice if you can afford it. That's really good advice. Yeah. That's really unique advice too. Okay, I'm gonna think about that. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's applicable to every business. It, it is, and I get it. Sometimes we don't have resources or we can't pay somebody you know, what we think we can, but um, if you can skimp in other areas, like for Solid Core, we don't skimp on our build-outs, right? We're not gonna skimp on the lighting in our studios. People are in our studios in workout clothes. A lot of women are wearing sports bras and leggings. Like if they don't look good in the light and the mirrors, like you're not gonna wanna come back and wanna work out there and our sound system, right? Like our sound system and the microphone is a big part of your experience at Solid Core, so that also can't be something we're looking for a discount. So those components to the actual studio and build out as well as um, the talent itself, like our coaches, our people, like that is what your brand and culture is. That's great, I love that. Um, well, I am so honored that you came here and I can't wait to go to a yeah. solid core class myself. Um, can you just end by telling us a little bit about what to expect if you go to solid core? Uh, you should expect to be surprised on how challenging it is. And I know you might be thinking on the other end of, oh, she's talking to folks who aren't fit or who don't run. I'm a marathoner. I'm a triathlete. I work out every day. Um, we have professional athletes come into our studio all the time. And because they're not working out in the fashion, uh, the way that our, the structure of the workout is, they get demolished. And they also get really excited about the fact that they have not tapped into strengthening these muscles in their body. So one, it, it makes you stronger, a stronger athlete, right? A stronger runner, a stronger biker, your endurance muscles um, really get uh, activated and you're building up your slow twitch muscle fibers. So you're gonna have uh, the ability to push through and more of your endurance efforts that you're doing. But it, you know, I'm not gonna lie, it also makes your body look great. I did not have abs until I started doing solid core um, definition in my arms and my legs. And that is not just, you know, me as the founder and CEO saying that, like you will see those results and hear those testimonies from all of our clients who know that this is the best workout and the best sort of use of your time. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. Sure. It was such a pleasure to have you. Yeah. And where can everyone find you and SolidCore? Yes, yeah, SolidCore.co. It's not .com. And then our Instagram is SolidCore. And mine is just Ann Mellon. Thanks. Great.